0: Learn more at marines.com. Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Syracuse Sports Make Me Drink here on the Tri-News and Absolute Magician podcast network. I'm your host, John Solo, and who else is on the line today?
2: I'm here. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Super. You? Uh, Syracuse is now, as of like two minutes ago, one of the two final or three final undefeated teams in the country. So, yay to us. What happened? I wasn't saying it. Hello? Yo. Yeah, Indiana beat Wisconsin. (laughs) Suck it, Badgers. And a nice win for those who still think that RPI and wins are important to a team that's going to go like 29 and 4 or whatever. (laughs) People are always talking about like the big win win for us. Like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) It really doesn't. If you win like 30 games, you're going to make the tournament and get a good seed. It doesn't really matter what happens with your schedule. But it is, you know, I'd rather have them win than not, I guess.
1: Completely agree.
2: And, uh, Matt, is that you?
1: Yes,
3: it
2: is.
1: Hey, guys. Good. So, uh, so Matt, as we were just discussing, um, Wisconsin lost, so that's funny, um, just because, you know, they're the, they're the latest in a long line of teams that people use as a, as a proof point to why we're not at least the second best team in the country. Of course. Then again, yes. I would I would say that some people now use last night as a reason why we're not the second best team in the country. Still, <laughs> well, last night was definitely.
3: There's no way to really sugarcoat it. It was ugly, and it was um, you know not so good for Syracuse. I you can definitely pull the the cards out and say things came together when they had to, and you know Syracuse wins when it just. When all else doesn't seem to click, it still wins. There's definitely some good out of last night, but overall, a 5-11 team gave the number two team in the country a major scare, and that's never really, especially in mid-January, not something you really want to hear, but, you know, a win is a win, so whatever. Uh, I see we'll take it, move forward. Coleman didn't play. Follow Trouble was an issue. Uh, Ennis and... He didn't play bad by any stretch, but Ennis wasn't totally Ennis uh, last night, so there's some things to work on for SU. Uh, Wisconsin, though, I'll say this. I've watched a lot of the Badgers this year, um, including detailing the first game of the year in Sioux Falls against St. John's. I think Wisconsin's a really, really good team, and I think this season, everyone says it every year, but maybe this year, more so than even recent years, it's kind of a free-for-all. There's just there's a lot of decent teams. There's a lot of good teams. There's a lot of okay teams. I don't know if there's a great team. I think Syracuse is a... It, without a doubt, Syracuse is in the top four or five teams that could easily win it all. But the the second tier down, which might include 20 teams, is not really that far off in the top tier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I kind of like brought that up in the comments section on Monday. The... Uh... You know, the question of, like, where the first and second tier kind of start and end. Um, and, I, and I do think that, you know, this year I think there are – I mean, we've seen this, this, this only a few times in the past. It, you know, the, the top tier is maybe four to 16 deep. And you're right, Matt. I mean, the, the second tier is, is a good probably 10 to 12, and I mean, damn, you can tell me if I'm wrong here. Uh,
2: it, it's hard. I mean, I, it just seems like there's a lot of parity this year, and I know we probably bring that up every year, but, I mean, even, even you know, Syracuse and Arizona, who if you're not putting them in your top two, I don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, they we both looked pretty vulnerable uh, even at the top, So, and I don't think either one's going to make, like, a run at being undefeated or anything crazy. Um so yeah, I mean, I think I think the the second tier, if if that's a thing, um, is pretty deep, uh, and I I think that there's you know a lot of teams that haven't really even hit their potential there yet because um, we you know we still don't know what Duke is you know they've come under a lot of scrutiny this this past week mostly um, still trying to figure out uh, Kentucky and Kansas who look really good uh, often but you know have had their blemishes so. I think we're very far from seeing uh, how this college football season's going to play out. There's
3: plenty. There's so much time left. It is funny how, we, especially in, you know, we all follow and cover Syracuse, but um, and SU's had a lot of big games so far this season. But there really is what is it, uh, six or seven weeks from from the start of the tournament now. I think we're we're under Selection Sunday, under eight weeks from Selection Sunday, and that's really the meat of the season, you know, and this is coming from the guy that wrote a a thing on Sean's site last week about how the ACC stinks, but there really is so much time left. I think a team like Virginia is going to get good, and, you know, we can get into the ACC at some point, but um, there really, there's so much time left. It's kind of crazy to, we're four games into the conference season, there's, 14 left of those, and then there's the tournament and conference tournaments. So plenty of time left ahead to figure all this out. I think right now what we've seen is certainly SU, speaking from the the orange-centric point of view, is right in the mix. Arizona, having watched them the last two weeks or so, and and certainly against Duke in in that one, it seems like that's a team that's not going to go away. The Pac-12 is not very good. And then there's a few other teams that are just in that mix. It's probably too early to really truly define the tiers, or at least limit the tiers. You might throw some teams in the top tier, some teams in the second tier, but I don't know if you can just put a a cap on it and say those are the teams, because there's too many games left to play to truly understand what's left.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I I completely agree with you guys there. Um, I guess... You know, I, I think we're all kind of quick to, to jump to Syracuse and then top tier, um, and and I guess at this point, I I think despite last night, you know, meh kind of performance, um, it, it's it's kind of hard to to visualize a situation in which we're not there. Um, and I mean, this isn't to try to jinx us at all, um, but but the way I see it, I mean, looking over even the the, the Top two tiers that most of us would probably would probably lay out with, with few with few differences. Um, you know, New York as, as as a regional final comes down to comes down to Syracuse and probably Villanova as as schools that could really you know be sitting there. So so uh, you know we, we had that head to head win. I think as long as we avoid losing more than three games the rest of the way, I I guess to me I I'd be surprised if we're not there. And and I think yeah. the garden's a lock.
3: I, I you know, assuming that you can get to that point which I think is also a lock. Uh MSG I think. It would the wheels would have to significantly fall off and then the wheels would also have to come back on other things that have already seen them fall off. So I, I just Personally, it just – everything lines up for Sykes to be in the East. I would be floored if, if it doesn't work that way. Of course, we, we've all just said how much time is left and everything else is going to happen. But, boy, if doesn't end up in the Garden, something significantly went wrong in this season. I'd have
2: to agree. I mean, I think it's all kind of laying itself out for that. Um, even if Syracuse, you know, didn't have – or even if they dropped a couple teams going forward, I think that um, – SU kind of built enough of a of a life raft behind them, uh, where they should be able to to you know cruise on to, to a number one or two seed, uh, and probably a one because I, I don't I don't think something really bad like you said has to happen for for SU to really fall that far behind. Um, although it's you know it's not out of the question by any means, but uh, I, I think I think that it really is kind of laying itself out. I saw a couple national people actually like, come to that realization after the win yesterday. They're like, wow, wait, Syracuse to Really roll on to the Final Four via <laughs> Buffalo and New York City, and that's pretty ridiculous. So uh, I'm rooting for it. That would be, I mean, we saw what happened in 2003 when when I believe it was uh, it was Albany, right, where where uh, where SC played, and people got really up in arms about that.
3: Yeah, and, uh, yeah it was. Yeah, Auburn and uh, Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, so like, yeah, you know, it helps enough. And and Wall Syracuse should be good enough to to get to the. The regional, either way, being in Buffalo would be nice, and then obviously at the Garden, we all know about what CRT's does there fan-wise. So uh, if you're a uh, I I don't think – it might be a little early, but I don't think you're being crazy if you try to go find some regional tickets uh, at MSG if you're a CRT's fan, even if it's just as an investment. Um, I'll be there. So hopefully, that, hopefully this all plays out. We're not jinxing it really hardcore right now. <laughs>
1: I mean, but is it just me or have we? I, I feel like we haven't been here before. Like, like the, the way things are laying out, I mean, is it just because we're ending at MSG and I was, I was not as nearly as invested in 03 as I am now. I, I mean, I, I guess to me it just feels like we're kind of we're in uncharted territory in terms of sitting there, and or maybe it's because we're in an the ACC and the ACC is in the down year. We're just kind of sitting here, like. I feel like waiting for the regular season to wrap up so we can get on to what really matters. And like, I mean, I know I'm one of the more cautiously optimistic people on the site, but I guess, yeah, like like it it is just kind of strange to me that, that we're now, we're now sitting here in January, you know, not even like officially mid January, I guess. And, and wondering, you know, okay, like when's this going to wrap up so we can get to the tournament, so we can, you know, With I guess among Syracuse fans, like with only minimal doubt that we're going to end up in the final four. I mean, this is this is almost terrifying. You
3: can say all that. I think it's interesting that you know I'm I guess I'm kind of the older guard on the site, which is so weird because I'm only in my you know early 30s. But I absolutely remember SU being ranked in the top 10 routinely, number one for a short period of time until Villanova beat us in the dome back in the. you know, early 90s at that point. <clears throat> but SU, this isn't all that crazy to me, uh, with Syracuse being so good. It's just, it's it's interesting that you go back five years ago and SU was probably at its lowest point maybe ever, at least under Bayheim. And, and that's some. I know this is coming from somebody that was vividly involved with the probation period and that, you know, the time when, when the investigation was ongoing to the point where as he was hit with probation, and then the subsequent fallout that really hurt the program over the next five, six years in the mid-90s, that was a bad time. But when SC went to the NIT in 7 08, that may have been the lowest point. And I certainly have no idea. You know, Bayheim knows nothing of me. I know nothing of him other than sideline antics and, and press room antics. But um, I would bet Boeheim would say 7 08 might have been his lowest point as coach. And all that kind of... Taken into account, I, I still think this isn't all that crazy, given that SU is doing so well and that it's you know on the verge of probably another number one seed. The crazy thing is you just mentioned, John, is how bad the ACC is, and how it's just not. This is not anything that happens from this point forward for Syracuse, save for the experience. You know, the game time experience for all these kids and everything else. The games themselves have benefit. But in all reality, when you look at it tournament-wise, and this is undercutting the ACC big time, but January 14th to the end of the season is not really going to help Syracuse because it's not going to face top-tier opponents. The Louisville is not there, top-tier, Georgetown, or Villanova, or whomever else. It's just simply not there. So from here on out, injuries can happen and upsets can happen. I don't think there's a whole lot of good that can happen for Syracuse until at least ACC tournament time, and then certainly... The first weekend of the NCAA tournament, which is just that to me is really strange. The Big East had down years, but personally, I don't really remember too many bad years like the one the ACC is currently going through.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if you guys remember like all of my, uh, you know, what if kind of simulation uh, during the off season, just like this summer, going through like what if Syracuse had been in the ACC since '04? I mean. There was only, I think, out of all those years, like, I don't think we made the, I don't think we were relegated to the NIT at all in in those seasons that I kind of simulated through, and I don't think we had a losing record at all in the in the ACC. Which, I mean, it's not to not to poo-poo our current conference too much, but um, you know, once again, like, there, there's there's nothing you can say to me that would convince me that. ACC basketball was really an upgrade compared to the old Big East. Now, the new Big East, of course, like, the ACC is a huge upgrade, and I don't wish us to be in that or the American Athletic Conference in any way, shape, or form. But, um, you know what, like, the Big East was a trial by fire for years, and I think that in the big scheme of things, I think we suffered as a result come the postseason. And, And it looks like, at least, you know, knock on wood again, that this season's kind of proving that right in, in a lot of ways, and hopefully, ultimately, in the final way.
2: Uh, sorry, I got distracted by something, but um, I tend to agree. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to look at something about the Wisconsin loss again. Um but yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not. We were talking about how I think you said it, it seems to be kind of uncharted territory. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I might just be kind of kind of uh, spoiled because I, you know, was at a few from 08 to 2012. But the last couple seasons, we started um, at least since I was a freshman. We started 10 and 0, 13 and 0, 18 and 0, 20 and 0, and then 10 and 0 last year before we lost to Temple. So, I don't know. I'm not really fazed by the big starts for SU, um, and they could certainly go either way. I mean, that uh, that 2010-11 team won 18 games and then lost, like, a bunch of games down the stretch. I think they were, like, 500 after that. So, um, I don't know. I'm kind of used to it at this point. I think Syracuse is is so close to breaking through to that, like, legitimate – I don't want to call them blue bloods because I'm conscious of branding, but uh, (laughs) – Orange like blood. Orange blood. <laughs> oh, I
3: think that Chip guy would have a, a huge problem with we.
2: Chip with Brown would. Yeah,
1: oh, Chip Brown. <laughs>
2: um, but no, I think we're we're so close, and I and it's starting to be like like just today watching this Indiana storm the court, and people are making fun of them because people make fun of every court storming at this point, and they're like Indiana is one of those schools that shouldn't ever storm the court, like Kentucky and Kansas. And Syracuse, and like uh, they listed a couple others, and I think we're we're so close to that point, and I I, I think it's because of these last couple of years Syracuse is really starting to to gain that respect, um, and only only helps by the the Final Four run, the Elite Eight run. So obviously, you know, we bring this up all the time, but national championship is the the final nail in that you know Syracuse is a truly top tier number one elite program, um, but all these really fast starts I think can only help because if people do take take notice that Syracuse is in the
1: top five every year now. Yeah, you know, I, I think, Dan, you brought up a really, you know, interesting point there. I think it's one that, like, we always kind of touch on is that all of our fandom, whether it's for basketball or football or lacrosse, is based on, you know, when we kind of came of age as a fan. And, like, Dan, for you, you got to enjoy um, a, a very, i I, I think charmed um, four years of basketball. I mean, obviously, like, didn't result in the Final Four, but... A pretty charmed four years of basketball. I was there for the first two years of NIT play in the mid 2000s, which, and and on top of that, Greg Robinson, like, made me, like, extremely cynical, and that probably explains most of my approach on the site, and most of why, you know, I have a very kind of jaded lens towards a lot of things. I mean, Sean got to enjoy the McNabb years in football. I think that, you know, Matt, Matt, you're not old, but Matt has definitely seen kind of, I'd say, the whole spectrum. We had a cheap to down
3: year of SU football, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still so ludicrous. Because I'm not old. I'm well, you know, in my early thirties, so I'm definitely not old. But it's funny how quickly programs can change, and and, and it, it's funny we say that because Syracuse basketball really never changes. I've been and a uh, Avid Watcher, I, you know, very distinctly remember 87, and I certainly remember and I was uh, six or so,
1: um,
3: and, you know, Keith Smart hits the shot, and then I start screaming for Derek Coleman to call a timeout when the ball went through the nut. He didn't, and I started crying. I I was like six or so, maybe, and, um, you know, I remember that period of time, (laughs) and and then everything else that subsequently happened, you know, afterwards, the heartbreak, something else, but... um, I I think, I guess we're all kind of getting to the point that this is kind of a golden era, right? I mean, is that what we're ultimately, the underlying theme is that this is fun. <laughs> you know, if you're a follower, if you're a fan, if you're whatever, SU is just, football is, is different, and we, you know, you touched, it's not Greg Robinson bad. I firmly believe Schaefer's the guy. That's kind of its own beast. But as far as basketball goes, Bayheim is always good for a top 25, always good for a tournament run, 20 wins. But the last five years or so, it's been a little bit more than that. And as much as I remember the, the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, where that was kind of the theme as well, there was always one massive point in the early portion of Bam's career. But that, that wasn't even really the early portion, but uh, 80s, 90s, it was always Bam was a recruiter and not a coach. And I distinctly remember hearing that and reading that. And it slipped a little bit in the 96 run to the championship game against Kentucky. And then... It definitely changed after 03, and that's always been kind of funny to me how his rep changed, but he never really changed. But all that considered, I, I do look at the last five years and think, boy, it is awfully impressive of how this program was pretty down, and as I said, I think Bahem would, would admit, and I don't know him, but I would admit, or I think he would admit that 07, 08, was, you know, that was really, really bad. And since that point forward, it's been Sweet 16s, Elite 8s, and then obviously the Final Four and Top 5 and Number 1 seeds. And this year, probably going to go through MSG. I mean, it's really – it is pretty impressive.
1: I guess we're all just kind of shocked by the success, um, based on the silence anyway. Um <laughs> I tend to have that on, on people. I'm sorry. <laughs> I guess uh, with that, you know, we're we're almost at the halfway point. Why don't we why don't we jump into some beer talk before we, uh, you know, get into kind of some lessons learned from Monday night's game and then um, looking at what should be, um, based on rankings at least, our most challenging game of the ACC schedule as it stands right now. So, uh, Matt, what did you drink in the last week or so? I've been uh,
3: a little remiss in the, uh, at least the good beer drinking aspect of things, but um, I was able to have a few of the more Green Flashes, the West Coast IPAs, as I've talked about a few times here on the podcast. I love those, absolutely love those. Uh, Green Flash, I've had about three or so of their brews over the last two months and I've just been so happy with all of it. I, I, up until about October, I had never had a Green Flash before. Since then, I've been very excited. And uh, so I had a few more West Coast IPAs and um, some Empire. I had some Empire Amber. I love Amber. love Amber beers. And so I had Empire over the weekend, a, a few. And uh, that was basically it. Outside of that, um, last week, late in the week, I had uh, an Arrogant Bastard. But for the most part, it was the... Green Flash and the um the Empire Amber.
1: I do love me some uh, Green Flash. Big, big fan, yeah. obviously. And I know I'm a little spoiled out here. I get to enjoy it pretty
2: much whenever. Dan, yourself? Uh, I had a really boring week. I can't even recall if I drank at all this week. Um, what? Beer- and you know, kind of, <laughs> half the time I do when I try new things is just talk about them on the podcast so I, I apologize to the listeners uh, not, bringing, not bringing anything to the table this week in terms of uh, beer talk. So I'm going to have to pass unless something pops in my head real quick got it alright
1: um, so for me not a list. A, a roll of beers. Well, I mean, I had Christmas, which people who, you know, know me, got me beer, and then my birthday was only about two weeks later, so everybody just got me beer. <laughs> my friends are coming up from Orange County this weekend, and they'll inevitably be bringing me beer. So yeah, um, I've kind of have this whole system square rooted at this point. Uh, some things I had this week um Henge experimental i p a from uh the shoots uh up in oregon uh, great great i p a um had some prima pills from victory, which you guys can get i'd say more readily than I can even uh, that's one of my favorite pills and had that while I was out for my birthday and then got to do a little uh beer tasting action going down to uh, Monkish Brewing and uh, Smog City Brewing um, both in the uh, Torrance area in the like, greater LA scene so Smog City is a great town both of them are like within a couple blocks of each other some really just just cool like West Coast breweries that just have these you know small tasting rooms right where the beers brewed and everything they've got to have some cool stuff uh, Plum Saison they're uh, grape ape IPA from a uh, smog city, and Monkish does a lot of Belgian style. Um, so they had, and um, had some of their varieties: um, Red Table, Feminist, um, Magnificat, which is their uh, like winter ale. Overall, like plenty of, of, of really really good beer, and I do wish that more of the listeners would be able to get Smog City or um monkish because both of them are pretty much LA only with like very, very minimal um distro in like San Diego and Orange County. Dan, anything come to mind or you're good No, I, I
2: if I did it was something boring. So um uh then I have to do better this week for for the fans. <laughs> oh, huh? I uh <laughs> I'm glad that I uh, encourage everyone to drink more. It's, uh, a point of pride, I guess. It's probably because the team's undefeated. Like, I have nothing to drink about.
3: <laughs>
2: that's, that's that's why drinking's great, because you can do it for, for happy and sad occasions. The BC game really wasn't that kind of game, though. Like, I love that I started drinking in the middle of it. Because <laughs> like, we won, but we, you know... We won, I guess. It was a 10.1 to BC, and it was terrifying. I got back
1: from the gym. I was watching at the gym, and then I so was just on my tweet of hoping everyone enjoyed <laughs> their uh, their profanity and uh, negativity-free game experience, because once I show up, everything just kind of goes to shit. Did, did either of you guys,
3: you know, and John, maybe couldn't have Followed as closely as normal, maybe. But uh, uh, did you feel like Syracuse was going to lose that game? Because I never got that impression. Not one time. And and you know, if Syracuse loses, that makes for some good posts on the site. But you know, I just never once thought the Orange w- was going to lose that game. I, although as you struggled and certainly couldn't guard uh, Lonnie Jackson, who hit what seven threes and at one point was six of nine and BC got up, what was it, eight points in the second half, Dang, You know there was, there was significant momentum going for Boston College in that game. And it just, it's still, even down eight, down six, it still felt like Syracuse was kind of in that finish them zone, that Mortal Kombat zone of one good run would do it, and it turned out to be that 16-to-1 run, and it was over with. And that's the way, I just, I wasn't waiting for that, I was expecting that. The foul trouble... And the poor performances aside, I just really, truly never thought
1: Circus was going to lose that game. I definitely thought they were going to lose. I mean, but then again, you know, I'm probably one of the more pessimistic. So <laughs> I, thought, I thought things well, – well, things weren't going well. Um, I'd say I got a little panicky about some of the mistakes I saw from, you know, players who would like, – like Tyler Ennis, who had most – for the most part, played, like, you know, fairly flawless basketball up to this point, like, to see those sort of things. I mean, even after the game, I, I just kind of felt that we weren't completely exposed, but I did feel like the rest of this season is... I, mean, we'll, we'll, I think we'll see definitively what happens against Pitt, but I think the rest of the season does kind of take on a different tone um, because I think, you know, D.C. better than... Um, Miami before them um, really kind of, you know, created a blueprint of, of how to beat us. I mean, obviously, like, you know, not everyone's going to hit that many threes in the early going. That's the thing. That's it. Right, that's but, it. but at the same time, like, they, they took advantage of, of you know, our inabilities on the boards. And, and I think that's something that, you know, more and more teams, and, and we've said, in the uh in the weekly power rankings for the A C C a lot of these teams are built to beat us like that. They have you know, they have size in the middle, they can really beat us up, and if we're gonna get lazy on the board like we've been for much of the last, you know, several years, then, you know, I, I wouldn't doubt it if we if we lost a couple games that we really shouldn't.
3: If, if team my magical number has always been twelve or more as a team against Syracuse, and any team for that matter, but you know, for just following Syracuse, if a team hits 12 threes or more, or, yeah, 12 threes or more, the Orange is probably going to lose. And Boston College got awfully close to that number, and that's one of those things, and Bayham's always done this, where he, obviously, A, hey, he's not going to come out of the zone. I literally saw, and Dan and I tweeted about this, I saw posts that said, I had somebody write to me and said, when the is Syracuse going to come out of the zone, and I was just like, oh, you. You just you don't get this, you know. You just simply don't understand what you're watching to think that as is going to come out of the zone because one player or a couple guys are hot. That just simply does not happen. But it's one of those things where you know, hit a couple threes, and your uh, any team can hit hang with any other team. That we we see that all the time. And, and BC was definitely doing that. The only disconcerting effort or disconcerting point, I guess, for me was offensively how really in the face of Syracuse the Eagles were. That that bothered me that Syracuse was so disconjointed on offense because defensively I really thought things were pretty good. It's just simply those guys, and Jackson specifically, hit freaks, And when a shot goes in from 24 feet away, 25 feet away, sometimes it's just not your night. And I was kind of, as I said, I thought this was going to win this game. I never once thought PC was going to win it. But I was kind of resided to the fact that, well, you know, in the back of my mind, I was thinking maybe this is their night, because when you hit some of those shots, when a guy gets that hot, we've all seen this a million times over. Maybe it's just one of those things, but I, I think the thing that lingers from this game going forward is probably the way that BC was able to. And as you said, John, underneath, clog it up, get the boards, and I thought Syracuse looked very disconjointed on offense and I think that's certainly something to uh, to really worry about going forward because there are some tough road games ahead as much as I bash the ACC last week there are games ahead that as you can easily lose Virginia's looked very well or very good lately uh Duke obviously will be a very difficult game so there's a lot of, of games ahead that you can easily lose and you play offense the way it did last night it absolutely will lose
0: I think,
2: um, yeah, I was uh, didn't comment on the person who told you, uh, as I'm sure there's someone on Twitter that maybe we don't see or follow for good reason every game, but like the guy who always says, "Oh, are they going to come out of the zone?" People like I don't think they get that the zone is a very like analytically based mathematical defense, and Beheim doesn't seem to fit that that you know that image of someone who does things based on numbers. But the entire, like, philosophy behind the zone against a three-point shooting team is that they're not going to make the shots all game. I mean, and if they do, more power to them. But, like, BC was hitting, you know, a lot of the shots were wide open, but they were wide open because BC was throwing prayer passes out of traps across the court with every game that Syracuse ever played. You know, most of the time those passes sail out of bounds or – are are high and get deflected, and then a defender is unable to rotate over. BC was throwing those passes and hitting them on like like uh, like Dan Marino passes last night, and the guys were getting getting them right to the chest and able to pop the jade before before the defense is able to rotate over. Like that's almost more of a miracle than the 25 foot three. Um, and BC having to do that like two or three times last night. That wasn't going to happen forever. So even though. Uh, you know, BC wasn't hit those shots. That's not a reason to come out of the zone and then go into play a defense that you're less comfortable with. Because <laughs> teams do hit three pointers in man to man defense. I've seen it. <laughs> uh, it happens every game that's ever been played in basketball. Like teams are able to hit threes and man to man defenses. Most teams play man to man and they don't and they do give up threes at more, higher rates than Syracuse does. Ergo, Syracuse shouldn't switch out of their best defense because of some panic that a guy hit like five threes, even though, you know, it was disconcerting at the time. So, it just, it drives me nuts. Like, at what point do you, do you re, uh, just have full faith as a whole fan base that Beheim knows what he's doing? Uh, it's gonna happen eventually, or it might not be. He's probably gonna retire fairly soon. But, it may be, I don't know what that even means, but, I, I'm just waiting for that day where, where there's a game goes by that Syracuse doesn't play, like, magnificently in, and no one guesses them.
3: Okay. Uh, that, that might – everyone cut that out and uh, keep that on the loop. That was fantastic, Dan. That's exactly everyone, – everyone that watches Syracuse, like, really watches Syracuse, that's exactly what you want to say to anyone who ever questions why Fahan does anything. He's won 900 and whatever it is now 33 games, and he knows what he's doing. This is the reason Syracuse was 16 and 0 heading into last night is because of what Bayham does as coach, which is an extension to the zone. It wasn't working for the majority of last night, but that's again, as he said, it's not just the zone wasn't working. Defense wasn't working because crazy stuff happens, and it was happening last night. That was fantastic. Then that's exactly exactly what we should all. Kind of just copy and paste and hit on you know hit on loop when you're thinking man why is SU you in the zone that that's the answer right there. Thank you. <laughs> I just I can't get over people to do that it's it's routine and when I got the post last night I'm like you gotta be kidding me I didn't I didn't I couldn't even respond to it because it just it, it boiled my blood so much that I would my response was gonna be full of f bombs and I was like I know that's not appropriate so I'm just not gonna respond. I'm going to let the gameplay itself file because I was pretty confident, as I said, if you're going to win, and I let that person figure it out on their own that, oh, hey, I'm an idiot. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, Matt, I guess I wanted to jump back to something you and I were talking about yesterday before the game started and, and ended up. Jared didn't necessarily agree with this. I have to call out Jared. But <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of the play and I did kind of hammer the point home, and that is. That even and Enos didn't have a great game last night, and I'd say he actually had a poor game. Um, some really for, know, him. Just, yeah, for him, like some really just like boneheaded turnovers, putting the ball on the floor. But at the same time, like again, it's Christmas's involvement in this offense and his you know ability to really be a factor seems to be directly tied to Enos' effectiveness as a point guard.
3: It's it's fun to me, and, and you and I, and, and Jared got involved, and I think a couple other people got involved. I, for whatever it's worth, and who the hell cares about my opinion, but I look at uh, Ennis, and I, I see a lot of Lazarus, Lazarus Sims. kind of I, I call it like Sims 2.0, and specifically his senior season, in which, you know, Lazarus was this kid from Henniger that, I think Henniger, from Central New York, I think from Henniger, that came in with really a lot of hype. A lot of people thought this hometown kid was just going to come in and kill it. And he played sparingly in his freshman year. Uh, he may not have even gotten – he he might have gotten a few minutes of sophomore year. It was kind of a strange career for him. And in ninety six ninety five ninety six, 95, 96, SU had no real buzz surrounding it. Um, but a lot of early season wins, and then Syracuse went over to Hawaii – got to the championship game of the Rainbow Classic, got thumped by a UMass. But in, in winning those games, I think Illinois, I think the Orange beat the Illinois um, in that tournament, they made a little noise. Things started to change a little bit, and the team started really getting a lot of notoriety. And John Wallace became the superstar of that team, but it was because of the play of Sims. And because you could just tell in the court, everything was slowing down for him. He just saw all. nothing ever rattled him. And he always, above all, Lazarus Sims always knew that John Wallace needed the ball. And he always found that guy. He always just was in the moment and never, against the press or whatever else, at Connecticut or at Georgetown or any of those games back then, he found the guy that needed the ball. For that team, it was Wallace. And I see so much of that in Ennis. And I think Tyler is far superior basketball-wise to Lazarus. I don't think it's even a question on that. But I think in regard to just kind of getting it in a way that only a senior can truly get it, like we see with C.J. Fair this year, Ennis gets it. And he, when he gets across midcourt, you can just tell things, you know, again, last night he didn't play all that well, but what did he have, like three turnovers, four turnovers? I mean, he still is really, really good. And he gets across midcourt and he just lets everything kind of fall into place and part of that falling into place is is Christmas. Christmas is now, you know, finding, you know, coming off the pick harder, getting to the post, you know, in a, in a better position to get the ball. There's just something different about rookie Christmas to me this year, and it's no knock on, on Michael Carter Williams in the slightest, because last year I thought Carter Williams was great, he's proven himself to be a worthy pro, he's probably going to be rookie, rookie of the Year in the NBA, so obviously the kid can play, but something about Ennis' game is making everybody better, and I think that's specific to Christmas, who may still only get you six or eight points, but just a simple... It's not just about the big men getting the ball and dunking or getting the ball in position to score. It's just about them being a threat on the court. You know, forever, it seems like, and I mean forever, it seems like the SU big men are just guys there that set picks and hope to get a tip rebound. I don't think Rakeem Christmas is, you know, a pro, and I don't think he's all world, but I think he's developing into that guy that's starting to make defenses think, okay, well, we've got to guard this dude. You know, we've we've got to put a body on him. And I think that is in direct correlation to Tyler Ennis and his play so far this year. It's been fun to watch, and, you know, maybe I'm overstating it, but I'm excited to see it. I, I like the way Christmas is moving on offense. I like the way he's going to the ball. I like the way that he is asserting himself. And I think that's absolutely because of Ennis, and I think that's absolutely because Ennis understands the game, sees the game, it's slow for him. He rarely gets worked up, and it's just its fun to watch. It really is. And I I think those two guys going forward from this point forward, or this point on, uh, will be something to watch. I I absolutely think so. I
1: mean, Matt, you talked about turnovers last night. It's funny, because I just looked up the box player. What did he have? Was it three? One turnover. He, he had a <laughs> six-to-one steal-to-turnover ratio. <laughs> and <laughs> and all- we like, oh, he wasn't that good last night. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. He's so good. The
2: problem is I mean, that, like, did- we've seen him score 20 points and dead eight assists. So when he only gets, like, 11 points and six assists and you know, three turn at three steals, people are like, oh, he wasn't that great. Well, he was just, like, you know, a normal, really good freshman point guard, as opposed to being some, like, otherworldly, you know, distributor.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think, too, uh, you know, it's my tendency and others' tendency, as well. So, to look at, you know, games like this, where steals-wise, he was great, like, and obviously, you know, like, fishing out assists as per usual, but you know, 4-for-11 shooting doesn't necessarily, like, you know, it doesn't necessarily, like, stand out to you as, like, a phenomenal performance, but two of those are three-pointers. And on top of that, like, I don't really need him taking more than 8-to-10 shots a game anyway because he is a a very good distributor. But I I think the one thing that folks are going to, are going to harp on, and this is, I think, has been an issue for him the entire season and something that he can obviously improve upon throughout his career, is just finishing at the rim. Um, That that really, really bad um, layup attempt later in the game, I think, is something that rubs some folks the wrong way. I know, again, like not going to hammer on Tyler. He's been arguably our best player all season. But I I will say that
2: if he's going to go to the rim, be able to finish there, and, and that's my only request. I think that's like the one thing he really hasn't been great about, um, and that's where like people miss Carter Williams a little bit, because, uh, especially towards the end of the season. Like a little, he was a little shaky early on, but in the in the the NCAA tournament, MCW never missed layups. Like that guy just finished at the rim every time, and part of that being six foot six and having crazy athleticism, which you know, and it is a good athlete, but he's not Michael Carter Williams, um, and that's not a knock on him, but. Uh, yeah, he's just. That's like the one thing I think that you know would really solidify his game if he if he yeah became more reliable there. And I'm sure he will. Like he he, uh, you know, as a freshman, he still needs to develop his, his body a little bit and be able to take contact. But and he's not great at like hitting. He's not always great at making that that pass that Carter Williams was. Uh, but we're, on the other side, we're a much better half court team this year than we've been uh, in a, in the last couple. Um, because Grant and CJ can kind of shift towards the basket, and Cooney's just a monster when they leave him open. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a pretty offensive team. I'm talking about Tyler Cooney, Jerry Cooney? Cooney Cooney. Oh, okay. All the Coonies are I really guess there good. Is,
3: it's a family thing. A lot. Lot. down
2: three. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they learned it from all the McNamara's we have on the bench too. Oh, and you know, Jerry, Jerry, and,
3: Jerry and and joey are just such a
2: advantage to have. You thought Syracuse was dynastic, but you didn't even know just how <laughs> how many family how many families we have involved and and the and the depth of them.
1: There's two more minor topics I want to touch on. Well, one of them is not so minor, and that's the pit game on Saturday. Get some predictions going around the horn. Um is just kind of what we think um about Pitt who's really had our number for a decade now. Um so Dan, we'll start with you. What are you uh
0: what are you envisioning
1: in this Pitt game? Um do, do we have a lot to be concerned about? Um is, is this finally gonna be the game that we that we dropped
2: this season? It very well could be. Uh I think it's a decent bet if you're one of those people who just thinks that like all of the things must come to an end. Um I'm not sold on Pitt. Uh, they aren't a great rebounding team, which they usually are. They're 80-second in the country in rebounding. And our, and our team isn't a great rebounding team either. But considering we play zone and there, there are years where we just can't rebound at all, it's not a bad group. Um, Pitt has played uh, nobody. Um, people have harped on Syracuse's out-of-conference schedule. The last two years, uh, let me. I'm just going to do this for my own volition real quick. Um, because the last two years in Pitt-Panther basketball have been hilarious in terms of out-of-conference schedule. They play Mount St. Mary's, Fordham, Lehigh, Oakland, number four Michigan, which they lost, Delaware, Howard, Detroit, Duquesne, North Florida, bethune Cookman, Delaware State, Kennesaw State, and that was last year. I actually forgot they played that Michigan game. Uh, This year – oh, that was even – I think it was in a tournament, too, so they didn't even, like, sign up for that. That was just given to them. And then this year, the out-of-conference slate was even worse, I think, Savannah State, Fresno State, Howard, Lehigh, Texas Tech, Stanford, Duquesne, Penn State, Loyola Marymount, Youngtown State, and then they lost to Cincinnati in, in a 44-43, good old Biggie's bloodbath, and then Cal Poly, Albany, uh, and then they played you know the dreads of the ACC uh, and and of course the elite uh, Wake fourth forever Wake Forest um, squad, and they beat them by 15. They're tied with Georgia Tech right now. I just don't know. Like, I think Pitt's pretty good, and I think they'll end up finishing the top four or so of the conference. Um, I'm not told they're better than Duke, uh, and I'm not convinced they have a better, higher ceiling than UNC. So, and UVA is really playing well, so I don't know if they're better than them. Um, Lamar Patterson's been really good. Uh, he's throwing a lot of points. Um, but I just – it's one of those things, like, Syracuse got not for playing much harder schedules than that every year. And Pitt is not only just playing at home, but they're playing nobody at home. So that bothers me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they might beat us. They're, they're Pitt. They always beat us. So I wouldn't be too shocked. Uh, I, a, I will be at the game.
3: First time in a while. I'm actually bringing my son Brady and my wife uh, Sarah. But Brady's three, and it will be her first real uh, adventure into the Dome. Now, a quick, quick side note. On uh, Sunday, we were in Syracuse. My wife had to do something, so Brady and I went up to the Dome, to get tickets for the pick game, and I have to say this, I don't know her name, but the ticket attendant woman uh, at the ticket booth just was fantastic, was so nice to us, uh, hooked us up with seats. You know, obviously, that's her job. I paid her for it, but uh, she then said, hey, does your son want to meet Otto? And the women's game was going on, and uh, Coach Q's team was taking on Georgia Tech, and I said, "Oh well, could could we go down there and just check out Auto really quickly?" And she, and the attendant said, "Well, I'm not going to the game today. We have tickets. Here are my tickets." So she gave us two tickets to, uh, for for Brady to get his first experience, true, his first experience in the Dome, <clears throat> and uh, got to go down. And you know, unfortunately, there's not many people at women's games, or at least this one against Georgia Tech last Sunday. But uh, we were able to walk around the court. Brady got to see and meet Otto, and we had a really good time. So I want to say thank you so much to her. I know she's not listening. This is so random, but it was really, really cool. Such a cool story. It's such, such a good moment for uh, for Brady and I to be able to do that. Really, really fun. Um, as for the game itself, I will be there. Brady will be there. And I agree with, uh, with Dan that it's one of those, if you think about it logically, Especially with Deron Johnson out for Pittsburgh, a guy that was averaging uh, seven or eight points off the bench for the Panthers, you know Johnson tore his ACL. That's a huge blow uh, for Jamie Dixon's team. And Pitt is not that good, so I think logically it looks like Syracuse beats another ranked team at the Dome and gets to eighteen and zero to start the season. But and again, right now Pitt and this is going to date it, but Pitt is losing at Georgia Tech. They're down five are the Panthers late first half. So maybe a loss tonight will take some of the luster off of Saturday's game. But we've we've all seen it. A lot of us have been there for these games. Pitt has a way with beating Syracuse at the dome, especially when you think it won't happen. Seems like Pitt wins these types of games. So would not be shocked. Ultimately though, I think Syracuse is made for this type of game. There'll be a huge crowd again. It'll be defensive. It'll probably be very ugly again. And I think it's made for C.J. Fair to get 20, 24 points. And if the, you know, quote-unquote bounce back, again, I don't really think he needs to bounce back, but I think he'll have a big game. And I think Syracuse wins. It's just not that good, not that tested. Johnson's a huge loss. And I think the Panthers probably lose tonight to Georgia Tech anyway.
2: It'd be nice if, uh, if S.U. could get Dewan Coleman back, because I think he could help out against uh, Tlaib but who's a who really big, big-body guy even if it's just for, like, 10 to 15 minutes. you guys think Coleman's more hurt than they're letting on? I do.
3: I think he's I think he's significantly hurt, and I think they're just not letting it on.
2: I don't know, because they let him play against Virginia Tech, and I think if That's, he was really hurt, they wouldn't have done that. Um, I think it's just enough where they don't want to – he probably doesn't have the mobility. I mean, this is completely hypothetical. I have no idea. But I, I, I would bet that his mobility is even – you know, less than it usually is, and that's really his main issue on defense. And that's what Bayhime cares about. So uh, I think that's where the concern really is for for, for him. But that's just a completely off the top on my part. My guess is I think he's more hurt, and I think they tested it against Tech,
3: and they realized that he is, in fact, more hurt than, than either they let on or they thought. And, again, just like you said, Dan, I have no knowledge whatsoever of it, but my my simple guess is I think he's more hurt than – I I wouldn't be shocked if we see him – I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see him again. And, again, that's a complete guess. But I think he's – one way or another, I think he's more hurt than initially thought or let on.
2: The nice thing about him is that, like, he has every reason to be, like, kind of discontent about his situation. He was a huge recruit. He stayed home. He probably assumed he'd be kind of a hometown hero type of guy, and his playing time has been so limited. But every time they show him, he looks like he's just really supportive, and everyone seems to get along with mm-hmm. him. So good on Daywan, who could very easily be like kind of a malcontent in his situation uh, when he could have gone to Kentucky or he could have gone to uh, to Ohio State. Um, but he seems to just be part of the team, and and he seems, you know, to understand what's going on. So and obviously that's just seeing what they show on camera. But he's always one of the most supportive guys on the bench, from what I can see. So good on him for that. Totally agree. Totally agree.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what, I don't I don't necessarily think there's anything more to um you know situation. I think he's I I think that Bayheim understands um, you know, kind of the long game here. Um I think we've had enough I think we've had enough, you know, season derailments due to injury or what have you that, you know, he sees he understands what we have the capability of doing this year. I think he sees this as a Final Four team and, you know, having just been removed from the Final Four team, I, I think he, you know, understands that this squad is just as capable of getting there. But I think, you know, he sees, you know, a healthy Coleman is kind of um, the key to that. And and if we can win games in the ACC without him um, and and make sure he's 100% back, then I, I, I just feel like that's a lot of, you know th- th- that's a lot of what is keeping Coleman on the bench because it's not as if he's sitting there, you know, in a suit. He's, you know, he's on the sidelines, and I mean, for the past like at least like few games, he's been suited up. He- he's had his uniform on. So to me, I, I just think that you know, Boehm is biding his time and understands that like if we don't need to put him in and he's not 100, percent then you know, why why rush things? I guess.
2: Basically, he knows how behind you. Exactly that. <laughs> so uh,
1: I guess I'll just uh, I'll quickly weigh in. Um, obviously, Pitt looks terrible right now against Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech is in Syracuse, and as we've said, Pitt just finds a way against Syracuse more often than not. Um, that said, I, I do think that in the Big East tournament last year, we just kind of finally like solved the riddle. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm concerned about Zanna and Patterson on the boards, especially if Coleman's not playing, but, um, uh, I think if, if we can play with less mistakes than we have probably the past, like, couple games, um, I, I think we should be able to beat Pitt, uh, but you never know. Um, like I said, look, looking at series' schedule, this seems like that game, um, as somebody who's kind of always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, th- this seems like the other shoe, but who knows? Um, I'm going to be a disloyal idiot and pick pit, but if I'm wrong, that's awesome. Um, and then I guess before we leave, uh, just one other quick note from the site today. Uh, for those who were under a rock, uh, Maryland's suing the ACC and claiming that... Uh, the ACC acted improperly in sending a recon team to Big Ten schools to basically try to recruit them. The funny part about the recon team was that it was Pitt and Lake Forest, <laughs> who were probably who probably the worst recon team
2: you could send out. It's like that. Uh, what was that Ben Stiller movie from the 90s with like Kel and uh, it was like this faux superhero movie. Oh, I know the one you're talking about. <laughs> Oh
3: um, oh Zolof? No, Zulu? that's a medicine. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait, is that a medicine? One <laughs> antidepressant drug.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that could be a movie. I'm so
1: hip, dude. You guys don't
3: realize it. No, I know what you're talking about. Zoolander.
2: No, not Zoolander. Uh, I'll I'll find it. It's, it's oh, uh, something men. I'm looking on tells IMDb because I feel it's a lot less daunting than than fillers. Mystery men, I think. Oh, oh, ah, yeah. yep, 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 yep. That's, that's, that's Pitt and Wake Forest going to recruit people for a conference. <laughs> I mean, Wake Forest is the fourth best basketball oh, well, uh, team. So I guess they, you know, they might
1: as well drop Yeah, I mean, as I said on the site today, um, for, for those who are Mad Men fans, you're trying to win a big account. You don't send, you know, <laughs> Bob Benson and and all the other, like, lackey tertiary characters. You know, you send Don Draper. So in this case, that's Florida State. And for some reason, the ACC sent – I mean, uh, <laughs> I understand why the schools that were sent were sent. Um, I think Lake Forest has a specific appeal that they can make to Northwestern. I think the tit has a specific appeal they can make to Penn State. But that said, uh, it seems pointless. I really like the schools that we have right now, and I don't really see a need to bring anybody else on. But that's just me. And then actually, I say most of the ACC. Um, but with the uh, obnoxious British woman counting it down, um, I think we'll cl- close it there uh, for Syracuse Sports Makes Me Drink. I'm John Casillo. Uh, thanks again to Dan and Matt for joining me today, and uh, Matt, go to
2: Qs against Pitt. Orange. Radio will be there. My son.
0: At Jared, we know devotion isn't a a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry, from delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds. Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion.